It's interesting, the uh, the shepherds have got a lot of air time so far today, and uh, they're going to get even more. Because we're talking about Advent. Who knows, there are, there are four Sundays in Advent, and today is the second one. I actually checked, because I wasn't quite sure whether we'd got it right this year, but yeah, I checked the official calendar, and Last Sunday was the first Sunday, and so we're on track. And it's not just who who thinks of Advent as it's 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 a bit like the countdown to Christmas. It's like as we get into it, it's sort of the the tension rises, the anticipation. You know, have I got the presents for the kids or the grandkids? And do I have time to do shopping? And why is the traffic so flaming bad everywhere I go at all times of the day? It just seems to get worse. Or is it something that we actually use to prepare our hearts and our minds for a celebration that changed the world? You see, Advent isn't just a a reminder of the coming of Jesus. It actually should be a refresher of some of the significant changes that the birth, the life, and the death and resurrection of Jesus brought to the people of faith over the last 2,000 years. It's a long time. Now, last week, Ashley talked about the hope that we have in Jesus. And today, I'll be talking about the concept of peace and how Jesus actually came and changed the whole idea of peace. And as part of the Christmas story, peace, of course, appears in that well-known passage that we just sang about and that Brendan brought up in the beginning, where the angels appear to a group of shepherds who are tending their flocks just outside of Bethlehem. And these shepherds actually have a really important role to play in this idea of peace, and we'll we'll come to that in a minute. But first of all, I just want to read to you from Luke's rendition of this event, Luke chapter 2, verse 8. And it says, That night there were shepherds staying in the fields nearby, guarding their flocks of sheep. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared among them and the radiance of the Lord's glory surrounded them. They were terrified. But the angel reassured them. Don't be afraid, he said. I bring you good news that will bring you bring joy to all people. The Saviour, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born today in Bethlehem, the city of David. And you will recognize him by this sign. You will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. Suddenly, the angel was joined by a vast host of others, the armies of heaven, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and peace on earth to those with whom God is pleased. And when the angels had returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, Let's go to Bethlehem. Let's see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. Now, there are two interesting things about this passage, I think, that really highlight the peace that the angel is talking about and the fact that it's not our normal concept of peace. It's not the sort of concept, not the sort of peace we normally use. I mean, for me in particular, we, and I think for most people, we think of peace, for instance, as the absence of war, conflict or violence. And it's a time of contentment and, and stress-free life. Is that pretty close? But that's, that's not how everybody thinks of peace. Um, 
uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure I've used this story before, but one that's stuck in my mind ever since I read it was uh, the story uh, in the actual book of the movie Black Hawk Down, which might seem an odd segue. Um, but the book is quite different to the movie. It goes into a lot more depth about the background of the incident that happened. And the person who wrote the book was a journalist who interviewed lots of people around Mogadishu uh, at the time of, of the actual incident that happened. And one of the questions he asked people was, was do you want peace? And the, the, the answer was almost universally, yes, we want peace. And he asked people how they were going to achieve peace. And one memorable answer came from an 80-year-old woman who he, he was interviewing through an interpreter. And he said, how are you going to achieve peace? And she said, we will have peace when we have slaughtered the last of our enemies. And I sort of thought, whoa, okay, that's, that's a fairly extreme idea of peace. We're going to have peace once we've slaughtered everybody who's causing problems. And imagine how that would work. You know, there's that old saying that all the world's gone mad except you and me, and I'm not too sure about you. Um, so it, it's what, what we discover here, this is a different sort of peace than what we're normal, normally uh, accustomed to talking about. Something different is going down in Luke's gospel, because we hear the angel say, glory to God in highest heaven and peace on earth to those whom God is pleased. These all think, well, I don't know about you, but whenever I've read that, it says peace on earth and goodwill to all men. Isn't that what is that? And so I, I thought, sort of looked and thought, oh, I better check this. And I checked through all the other translations I could find on my Bible program. And they all say something similar, except for the King James Version, which is where that comes from, of course. But every other translation speaks of those God is pleased with or on whom his favor rests. So there's obviously been a, a change or an update in how that particular Hebrew phrase or Greek phrase has been translated. So the, the question is, who are these lucky people and how do we get to join them? Because if we want peace, it's obviously something to do with God and him giving us that peace. So... I think we all know, at least I hope we know, how do, how do we please God? Five-letter word, faith. Now, but ra rather than be settled for, for such a glib answer, I think we should ask, how did people show their faith in God before Jesus turned up on the scene? Now, if we read the Old Testament, I think you'll find that there's a complex system of celebrations, of feasts, of offerings, and animal sacrifices. Now, that's the second interesting thing about the scripture is not only does it actually pinpoint a group of people to whom God is going to deliver peace to, but it actually talks about animal sacrifices. You still think, where does it say that? It's the, the really interesting thing about this is the shepherds. If, we, if you read this section in Luke, and think of it from the point of view of the shepherds, it becomes a very strange story. Because we have this idea that the angels appeared to the shepherds because they were poor, dirty, low on the social scale, and, they, and there was a symbol of the fact that Jesus came to the least of us to show us his glory. 
But I think this is another one of these Christian myths where a great, a good story actually hides an even greater story underneath. Because we happen to know from, from reading um, some writings in um, Jewish law, which is around here somewhere, um, something called the Mishnah, which actually details the fact that these shepherds were not necessarily ordinary shepherds. And we need to look at the scripture because it says they were nearby and not in the wilderness. Now, the Mishnah has a law in it which states that no herds of any sort are allowed to be kept near populated towns in Israel. They must be kept out in the wilderness. So what are these sheep doing near Bethlehem? The only exception to that rule was that sheep were kept by the temple priests for the Passover sacrifice near the towns. And so it is highly likely that these shepherds were actually priests tending the flocks of the temple ready for the Passover sacrifice. Why were they out at night? Because you, you sort of think, well, hadn't they invented pens? They could put them in at night and they didn't have to sit out in the field. The implication is here that it was springtime and they were out there because lambing was happening and they were out looking after the lambs. The other pointer is that if you think about it, the angel got quite theological on them. To a group of, he, he said, the Saviour, yes, the Messiah, the Lord, has been born where? Not just Bethlehem, but Bethlehem, the city of David. He's giving all these details to which ordinary shepherds wouldn't be interested. And then he goes on to say, you will find a baby wrapped snugly in strips of cloth lying in a manger. A, there's an implication there that you're going to go and find them. I mean, the shepherds hadn't indicated that and said, oh, can we go and see? The angels say, look, you're going to find that. In the end, you see these shepherds who are initially terrified saying, hey, we're going off to Bethlehem to see this baby. I mean, if you were a shepherd out in the field and a host of angels appeared, the first thing you'd do is say, let's not tell anybody about this because they're going to think we're all crazy. But instead, they've understood something here which has led them to go to actually see what it's all about. So they're not typical shepherds. And they've understood something which is not typical about the angel's message. And so they've suddenly realized that the law of Moses, that the system of sacrifices that they've been following is about to be changed because they know what it means when the Messiah comes. And so they race off to see this baby. And the significance of the strips of cloth that he's bound in is not that they were just some old ones that Mary had brought along because her mother had them. They weren't just random things to wrap babies in. She sort of, sort of think, why would shepherds care what a baby wore when it was born? But when they got there, what they discovered is that Jesus was wrapped in the very same cloths that they wrapped the lambs in when they were born to ensure that they were clean and free of blemishes ready for the Passover sacrifice. Is anybody's mind getting blown? Because mine was. And so what we've got here is the shepherds have got a revelation. They're the first people to get a revelation that the Messiah has come, that the old system of sacrificial animals to please God, to get the peace of God, has gone, and that something has come to replace that. 
And so how does this affect our understanding of peace? It's a nice segue, but how does that come in? It comes in because of what follows. Let me, let me tell you another story. Remember in Matthew, in Matthew 8, 23, there's a story of a boat. And Jesus and the disciples get into this boat. And Jesus falls asleep. Who remembers what happens next? There's a storm. And the disciples freak out. And they see Jesus in the back of the boat asleep. And they are ticked. There's this storm about the kill him and Jesus is sleeping. And so they wake him up. And say, hey, look, excuse me, we're about to be drowned. Would you like to be awake for that? Or are you going to sleep through it? And Jesus says, why are you afraid? You have so little faith. And he got up and he rebuked the wind and waves and suddenly there was a great calm and a peace. Because you see, what they didn't understand and what the shepherds understood was that peace is not the absence of problems. Peace is a person and his name is Jesus. See, the disciples were with Jesus, but they didn't yet know him as the Prince of Peace. I mean, if you think about it, if you're in a boat with Jesus and it looks just like you're about to drown, if you really know who Jesus is, are you going to be worried? I mean, come on, the saviour of the world is not going to drown in a boating accident. And if you're with him and you're focused on him and you understand who he is, you're not going to drown in a boating accident either. And so peace is found in the presence of God. The shepherds understood that pleasing God had been transformed from a ritual to a relationship with the birth of Jesus. Going back to, to Luke 2.14, glory to God in the highest and peace on earth to those whom God is pleased. The other thing that the, the shepherds, because they were priests, they understood was that that line in Luke actually points to Isaiah 26. Isaiah 26 verse 3 says, You will keep in perfect peace all those who trust in you, all those whose thoughts are fixed on you. See, that, that peace in Isaiah in Hebrew is the word shalom. We've all, we've all heard of that. And we know that if we, if we study that, the shalom means more than peace. It's a, it's a wholeness of of identity it's a it's a it's a a much richer sort of word but here the, the idea of perfect peace is actually shalom shalom it's actually repeated in hebrew in isaiah here and it's peace upon peace peace beyond our understanding how do we experience this shalom shalom of god and we need to understand that the battle for peace belongs in their minds. There's a war on in your mind. At least I hope there is, because there's one in mine. That how many of you know that we fight with things that we know and things that we do all the time? I can know the truth of God, but my mind wanders into all sorts of untruths. Even better, I can believe God's promises for you, but sometimes I struggle with God's promises for me. It's easy to believe for other people sometimes. There's a war going on in my mind between what God says and what my mind tends to wrongly believe. The battle for peace begins in all of our minds. Remember, peace is not the absence of problems. 
peace is a person, and his name is Jesus. John 16.33 Jesus says, I have told you this, all of this, so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, is the bit we don't like, you will have many trials and sorrows. See, peace isn't about not having problem. But he says, but take heart, because I have overcome the world. Peace is about who we hang out with, not what we do. In this Christmas season, we can have confidence that the peace of God is not reliant on our actions, our understanding, our strength, our striving, our good works, our wealth, our style, our talents, our anything. We should be breathing, breathing a sigh of relief that the peace that we can experience is not a skill we need to learn. It's not an innate ability that some people have and some people don't. It rests on who we spend time on and who we're focusing on. I have a recommendation. Let's focus on Jesus. John fourteen twenty seven, and I'll finish with this. It says, I am leaving you with a gift. Peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. Peace be with you. Let's stand. Peace is one of those fragile things. It's as a parent or even a grandparent. There are those times in your house when you suddenly sense that there is a peace. And that's when you begin to pray. You pray that it's going to last more than five seconds, five minutes. This is heavy. And then you worry that it's too quiet. But when we understand that the peace that really matters comes from our relationship with Jesus and that everything else flows from that, it changes, as Brendan said earlier, how we view the world. So I want to remind us this morning if we're here and we have put Jesus as our Lord and Saviour in our lives, that we are focused and purposed on following him, then we need to continue that focus and that purpose. But if you're here this morning and you either haven't ever purposed to follow Jesus, or you may have at one stage in your life done that, but you know now that that purpose and that focus is God. There is not peace in your life because you are not walking with the Prince of Peace. I want to offer you an opportunity today to actually start that war or restart that war of peace again by renewing your connection with Jesus, the Prince of Peace. In fact, I think it's probably a good thing for us all to do right now 
I just, let's bow our heads, close our eyes. I'd like you to repeat after me. Dear Lord Jesus, you are indeed the Prince of Peace. I pledge my heart, my soul and my body to you. I walk in peace, knowing that you are my Lord and Saviour. I ask you to forgive my sins. I thank you that I have the ability to change direction and follow you. Thank you for your peace, mighty Jesus. Amen.